For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. My big issue is this. This could have all been avoided if Rip had done a better job managing the bunkhouse. Season 4 of Yellowstone promised one thing. Everybody pays. And there was a whole lot of revenge early on. But a better premise for this midpoint of the season might be question everything. I'm Addison Haker, and aside from Rip's love for Beth, Beth's loyalty to John, and John's dedication to keeping a promise he made to his father, nothing seems certain. Is the sun even going to rise on the ranch tomorrow morning? Okay, I'm exaggerating a little, but we're still not certain about who planned the attacks and why. What is Jamie thinking? What is Lloyd thinking? Is Jimmy thinking at all? Billy Dukes is on hold to help with some of that, and to explain why the most dangerous threat to the Duttons isn't Markwood Equities, or the indigenous tribe, or even Garrett Randall. It's a pretty red-haired woman that dropped in at the very end of episode 5, titled Under a Blanket of Red. At the end of today's show, we'll also include more of your discoveries and questions, including some really sharp answers to a question we posed earlier. Is the train station based on a real place? Email staff at tasteofcountry.com to join the conversation, or leave a comment where you can if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. You can also find this podcast on Spotify and now Google Podcast, as well as tasteofcountry.com. Tap follow if you haven't already, because we'll be working double time since 1883 begins in December. This is episode number three of Dutton Rules, a podcast focused on Yellowstone in 1883. Newcomers to the show are welcome here. I won't let Billy assume you know everything about season one through three, thanks to the thousands who've listened so far and the hundreds of thousands who've watched our video recaps on YouTube. Rest assured that all interaction comes from either myself or Billy, who will bring him in right now. Hello, Addison! Billy! Okay, I am still... Stunned to hear you're sounding so excited, considering... What? what considering Well, you what? made some pretty bold predictions on this podcast. You even went as far to make everyone feel guilty, assuming that just because Garrett has a criminal past, he's living a criminal life. You said you'd mm-hmm. get beers with him, Billy. <laughs> one beer. I said I'd get one beer <laughs> Billy, you were wrong. All right. I'll admit... At the end of episode five, it doesn't look good for me. No. It's it's this long journey towards who attacked the Duttons, finally revealing it. And we're halfway through the season, and we still don't conclusively know. But it's all pointed towards Jamie's real dad, Garrett Randall, a man who was in prison for decades on murder charges, and he was cellmates with T. Riggins. It's not conclusive, though. Would you at least agree to that? Sure. But come on, who else would it be? Jamie took that meeting with Riggins and then looked ready for a fight. I mean, that's kind of how they leave it. They leave it just with his staring gaze of he's 
infuriated. It doesn't look good. And I think many would fold when a wild theory looked totally implausible. And admittedly, before I would have folded. When it comes to fight or flight, I'm team flight all over here. (laughs) But recently, I had the chance to watch a young man named Parker live his life and Parker sees life's figurative sleds racing down a hill towards him. And does he jump or run? No, ma'am. He picks up his sled and throws it at his attacker. He fights until there is no fight left. And because of Parker, I am doubling down. I still say Garrett Randall didn't do it. Damn the evidence. Billy, that is quite the story. Um, Parker, is this your youngest son? Yeah, he's five. Yeah, I was I was like, I don't think this is a Yellowstone character we were talking about right now, but I love the gusto behind this story. Okay, but I'm ready for this explanation. I'm bracing for impact. Billy, the floor is yours. Well, still, to this point, there is no hard evidence. You could not try Garrett Randall on this. There's nothing that we've seen that conclusively says it's him. And we're halfway through the season. It's been kind of a slow roll. And often that feels like sort of a decoy for what the real crime was. You remember Jamie and Garrett, since teaming up together, Garrett's really cleaned up his wardrobe. He's become something of a a housewife to Jamie, if you'll allow me to go that far. Uh, And and then think of this. If you tried to kill a man's family, would you go live with that same man? But this is the main reason. If Riggins had ratted him out in that interview, why would Jamie go back? Why wouldn't he call the cops? He's a Harvard kid. He is Mr. By the Book. He does not confront. He is not team fight like me and Parker. He right. has team flight. You would think that he would call the cops and deal with this under official means as attorney general, not try to go be a, a superhero and rescue himself. Instead, he's standing there upset about something. Well, we never really find out what that is because the most dangerous woman on the show is standing there with his baby boy. You mean Jamie's ex-girlfriend, right? Right, yeah. Her name is Christina. Okay, well, speaking of the most dangerous woman... Can I can I express a theory that I have? Oh, go on. I'm listening. <laughs> As Billy sips his tea. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> we should do a little bit of setup for how we're recording this podcast because it's a little bit different. I'm actually right. in Las Vegas this week on the Vegas Strip, and I'm currently looking out over the Strip, um, and it's quite beautiful and scenic, but I got these fancy hotel coffee mugs. That's why I look so... I'm in a, a literal suite on the 29th floor of this hotel. Billy's, I got the good digs today. He's living his best life spilling the literal tea about Yellowstone. Did you like <laughs> what I did there? <laughs> I do. I do. Thanks. Pretty proud of that uh, one. All right. You don't like Christina? So here's my thought here. I agree what you're saying about Jamie is by the book. So if Garrett did hire Riggins, then he would have gone ahead and arrested him. So it's odd that aside from obviously the baby boy, which is also Jamie's son, aside from that, she's kind of popping out of nowhere. And she's saying, you know, I'm, I'm proud of Jamie. And that's seeming like why she's coming back. But if you want to explain to fans real quick of what she knows about Jamie, and then I'll continue. She knows all of his secrets. And to catch people up on Christina, I mean, she was his girlfriend. I think it was in season one. Um, he was. She was also his campaign manager as he, he tried to run for attorney general. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, he pulled out of that race, and she dumped him because of it. And then later, I think in season three, she invites him for coffee and reveals that she's pregnant. Between there and then, 
Uh, Jamie strangles the newspaper reporter who he had shared all the Dutton family secrets with. Um, I mean, everything that John Dutton had done illegally that would have led to a huge, huge criminal investigation about the Duttons and the Yellowstone Ranch. Jamie spilled all that, and to keep the reporter silent, he killed her. Christina Mm -hmm. knows that because she was in that meeting. She was part of that interview. She was sitting next to Jamie as he spilled all those secrets. So she knows exactly what Jamie told that reporter, and then the real reason that reporter died, uh, she's the only person who knows all of that information. That's why I say she's the most dangerous woman on the show for the Duttons. Mm-hmm. And so my thought is that she's the one who hired Riggins to get rid of John. Ooh. Yeah, I know I know it's a far off, but I'm just saying that Yellowstone just doesn't randomly drop characters in for no reason. And so part of me thinks she wanted John out of the way. She comes into the picture she can manipulate Jamie. She has the baby as the leverage, all the above. And she's here to take it all. I don't know. Sweet, sweet Christina standing there <laughs> striking a motherly pose with a baby on her hip. So proud of her man. You think that she... It, it's because she's a redhead, isn't it? You just don't trust redheads. <laughs> hey, now, I love redheads. It has nothing to do with redheads. I'm just saying, just because they look innocent doesn't mean that they didn't do it. How do you feel about Jamie overall? <sighs> the deep side. He's, he's kind of the anti... He's like the anti-rip in every possible way. He is. He's a little too... I kind of feel like I could I could run over him. He doesn't seem to have a spine uh, to act on his own, as far as I can tell. But sometimes I often find myself feeling bad for him because he does... He's. I don't think he's as selfish as he's portrayed to be, but... Man, he never really seems to make the right decision. He seems just so weak. But I do think, and you, we even see this when he buys his land, of he makes a point to say, you know, this is not for the Yellowstone, this is for me. So I do think that we might start to see a little bit more coming of his own, if you will, um, and more of a spine. Doesn't Jamie seem like the kind of guy who would be like about five foot three on a giant F-150 truck up on a lift <laughs> with a pair of testicles on the, on the trailer hitch. <laughs> that is quite the stereotype that we just flung <laughs> in here. <laughs> I just feel like he's overcompensating at every possible turn with that ranch and like how tough he's trying to be. In. You can't see my face right now, but it's pretty intense. Like, come on. I feel like I could just go up and tickle him and he'd be like, ha, 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 win. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not completely on board with that yet, but I'll I'll (laughs) marinate on that and get back to you, Billy. All right, marinate. (laughs) Marinate. If you agree with Addison's theory on Christina or my crazy one with regards to Garrett Randall, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Staff at tasteofcountry.com. Can we talk about the bunkhouse? There's so much going on there. Things really escalated, and Mm -hmm. Lloyd seems to be just totally off the rails. Mm -hmm. Like, this was not the Lloyd we saw through three seasons and the only time we get a glimpse of that Lloyd is when he's hanging out with Carter which Mm -hmm. he does at the very end of the episode and here's my thought there they're pretty much both the outsiders right now of you know we end season I mean we end episode five and he's going out to the barn and you see him interact with Carter and even when he was Lloyd was explaining to Carter you know the the different terminology of a saddle and all that, I think that there's, and I could be wrong here, but I think it's 
very unique, them both being the outsiders, I think, especially as, I mean, Lloyd looks like he isn't a pressure cooker. He's going to combust at truly any moment. And, but Carter, I mean, that's kind of how he operates too of, he's kind of always teetering on the what's he going to do next type of thing. And, um, you know, I think that that might be a unique, I just think the show showing them multiple times together. Yes, Rip has told Lloyd, hey, you know, teach teach Carter a thing or two. But I, like I said, they're both the odd man out right now. So I almost think that that right. might forge a sweet little bond there. Um, them both not being the likable, the likable people at the moment. They they are certainly, and I think Lloyd is certainly more likable than Walker, who does oh, not seem to be getting any of the repercussions. And I guess if you haven't watched yet, there's a huge fight in the bunkhouse. Uh, Rip ends up beating the crap out of Lloyd, mm-hmm. but really kind of lets Walker off scot-free. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really punish him too much, which was surprising to me. The best way I would describe this scenario here is... In a sorority house, you have a house mom that, you know, takes care of everyone, the older person. And so Lloyd is kind of the house dad of the bunkhouse, if you will. I mean, he's sure. he's older and there's these bunch of young, late 20s, maybe early 30s, you know, kiddos, young adults. And he's kind yeah. of the house dad. So I understand from Rip's point of, okay, you're going to reprimand the wiser person, but dad gum, Walker is getting, I mean, he's not even really, he hasn't gotten even a slap on his wrist. It's kind of like, I didn't see anything. And that to me, I'm like, okay, what, why do you think he's being so hard on Lloyd and literally kind of turning a blind eye to Walker? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's because Lloyd is perceived to be in charge. But also there was that scene from, I believe, episode three of this season where Lloyd expressed to Rip that he was a more or less a pressure cooker. He didn't know mm-hmm. how much uh, more his pride could take of Walker flaunting his relationship with Laramie. Rip didn't see this, but Walker, I think, tried to make peace by offering Lloyd a little bit of food. That's when the fight started. Yeah. And Walker hasn't expressly said he wants to fight Lloyd. Like, Lloyd has stated he wants to fight Walker. So I think Rip knew that Lloyd wanted a piece of Walker. My big issue is this. This could have all been avoided if Rip had done a better job managing the bunkhouse. He is the, okay, back in college, maybe you had two clubs or two bars on opposite ends in town. Mm -hmm. One was like the seedy, dirty, sticky carpet bar. Maybe the one you went into when you're 19 and 20, hoping you could get served underage. (laughs) The other one's like a little bit of a nicer club. They have good security. No one's getting served underage there. Right. The first bar... If someone bumps into someone and a drink spills, you know, there's the huffing and puffing and two guys getting in each other's faces for a few minutes. And then finally the blows start flying and the punches. And then maybe eventually a bouncer gets in there. And the bouncer, you know, he might even provoke it a little bit by throwing a few punches himself. Bouncers at that club are looking for a fight just as much as they are looking to break up a fight. So they don't get ahead of things like that. Hmm. You go to the nice club, the higher end club. The bouncers are big guys. They're friendly. They say, hi, how are you when you come in? Your drink spills. They come right over and say, oh, I'm sorry, sir. Can I get you another drink? What were you drinking? And they go to the bar and bring it to you yourself, defusing the situation at every possible moment so you don't have a big brouhaha. Rip is the bouncer in the first club. He's at the seedy, gross bowling alley of a club looking to throw some fists around. When really what he should have done 
was figuratively gotten Lloyd a new drink. He shouldn't have let Laramie and Mia in the bunkhouse to begin with, in my opinion. But once he knew it was an issue, he needed to step in and, and squash that issue. I I would agree with that. Yeah, he definitely, it's one of those of he came and escalated instead of de-escalate. So you're not a fan of them in the bunkhouse. I was curious to get your thoughts on how you felt about Mia and Laramie and even, I guess, Teeter in, in the bunkhouse. Here's the thing. Laramie and Mia, I like as characters. I think they add, you know, they're strong females. I love it. But when you put them in close quarters with these men, really, they've been nothing but drama. Also, in a Me Too, Too world, doesn't that seem like a really strange working environment? Like, we've traveled before to festivals and stuff and stayed at houses, but everybody's got their own separate rooms and bathrooms. Uh-huh. And if anybody's sleeping in an open space, it's, it's usually one guy or, or two guys. Uh-huh. Like, if we were just kind of like one big room in the one big flop house where everybody had to sort of change and everything, <laughs> I don't know how much, I don't know how long people would stick around for HR that. nightmare. But yeah. I mean, who's running the human resources on the Yellowstone Ranch? <laughs> exactly. Well, it's kind of like the show, which I'm sure, I mean, I think I've seen one episode, but Love Island. And that's what they do. They put everyone pretty much in closed quarters and... Yeah. Yeah. That's a reality yeah, HR show. Word. <laughs> that's yeah, a reality so, show life. Yeah. <laughs> Where is the Yellowstone HR? I love that. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You're listening to Dutton Rules, a Yellowstone 1883 podcast. I'm Addison Hager, and Billy, I want to dive deep into what's happening on the Four Sixes Ranch, because I think that is where the real cowboy stuff is happening. Plus, I have a theory about Jimmy. But first, a reminder to press follow, as more recaps, analysis, and cast interviews are coming very soon. We've got to see a little bit more of Jimmy on the Four Sixes Ranch. On this mm-hmm. episode, still not clear where that plot line's going, but they do seem to be regularly coming back to Jimmy and his life on the ranch. I love, I really, really think this is going to be such a turning point for Jimmy of, and I said this earlier, of I think he's going in a boy and going to come out a man, even with his kind of fear of horses, of he loves to ride, but, you know, is fearful of... I mean, he's fearful of them. And you even see that in that episode where they're getting on the horses to ride off. And that horse wants nothing to do with Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're kind of look at him going, okay, who is this dude? But I think this is going to be really refining for him. Almost to the point where I'm like, when he comes back to the Yellowstone Ranch, Mia and Jimmy, they were together with the current Jimmy, if that makes sense. Of, right. you know, when he goes away and comes back, yeah, either you know, he's going to be a different person or he might not even be interested in Mia in that way anymore. You know, I just think that is going to be a dynamic that's interesting. I think he left as Jimmy and I think he's going to come back as Jim or even James. Like, yes. you know, he's not Jimmy yes. anymore. Hi, I'm Jim. You know, with a nice... Oh, absolutely. Firm handshake. Yeah. Rip Jr. maybe. I don't know. I had to do a little research. The acting at the Four Sixes Ranch seemed a little strange to me. Like, a lot of the characters seemed pretty stiff. And come to find out, a lot of, like, real cowboys and rodeo champions 
are kind of part of those scenes, including the real Buster Welch. They mentioned three gods in Texas, God, George Strait, and Buster Welch. That was Buster Welch, if anybody had any doubts. I don't want to go too deep into his uh, biography because I don't know a lot about him, but it's a pretty interesting study, and he's Mm -hmm. got some interesting YouTube videos out there, too, where you find him speaking. Well, and can you explain just for, we don't have to deep dive here, but just kind of give a one-liner, like, who is he in general? A horse trainer. He's a famous horse trainer. Um, He's about 95 years old. He's in the NCHA Hall of Fame, all sorts of Hall of Fames. He's kind of one of the good old boys of um, rodeoing and and horse training. Um, that's, That's the really, really cliff note version of his career. The other character is an actual actor uh, mm-hmm. who, if you're a little bit older, you may recognize Barry Corbin is his name, and he was part of shows back in the, um, the 80s like, oh, geez, he was on MASH, he was on Columbo. More recently, he was on Modern Family and Better Call Saul, but he's kind of like one of those classic good old boy actors, almost like mm-hmm. a Forey Smith who plays Lloyd and a Sam Elliott. Um, Taylor yeah. Sheridan likes those kind of characters quite a bit, and for good reason. They provide a lot of color and are pretty interesting when they're on screen. Mm-hmm, absolutely, and almost kind of provide a little bit of an anchor, if you will. That's a good way of, uh, of looking at it, yeah. I would totally agree with that. Well, and I want to talk real quick about if we can kind of compare the 666 Ranch to the Yellowstone Ranch. I'm personally, and this might not be a fan favorite statement, but I'm I'm kind of here for the 666 Ranch so far. Really? I love looking at more, and I don't know if this is the Texas side of me, but I love seeing the more cowboy life. I almost feel like if you were to compare the two so far, you know, the cowboy life, when they're explaining, you know, it's more like life lessons. And, you know, they go into these stories and just like when Jimmy was laying down and he was saying, you know, don't lay down, telling him all these just different like life lessons, essentially. And where the Yellowstone Ranch, how you do these life lessons, it's less storytelling and more of we're going to go straight to physically roughhousing you and then we'll teach you the lesson. We're so far right now, it kind of seems, even when they were talking about Buster Welch and he was saying, you know, there's three gods in Texas, God, Buster Welch, and George Strait, you know, where it sees more so like cowboy tales, if you Mm -hmm. will, Um, which I'm also kind of curious if that will do better for Jimmy. Well, the Four Sixes Ranch as a show certainly seems like it's going to be tailored a little bit more towards the niche audience who really is Mm -hmm. into the rodeo game and that cowboy life, whereas Yellowstone is a little bit more of a soap opera, a little bit like a a modern-day Dallas, um, even, uh, that can capture a lot more fans. Like anybody who's really lost in some of those cutting uh, horse scenes and the, um, the raining scenes on Yellowstone... I think would be really lost, maybe. This is just a theory when, when the Four Sixes Ranch show begins. Yeah. Can we talk about Monica and Casey real quick before we get to some Q&A? Yeah, go for it. I have some thoughts as well, so I'm glad you brought it up. People hate Monica on Facebook for some reason. Oh. They're really mean to her. And I kind of see why, because part of me, like, I mean, she was kind of wishy-washy, and we talked about this, how I... Right. But people are really, you know, they they feel like she needs to stand by her man. They want her off the show. They kind of just get sick of her. But I feel like in some ways, 
our opinions on Monica are reflective of sort of our understanding of the native culture a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's what she's doing her best to sort of represent. And she does it pretty well, I think, even though the actor herself isn't native. I believe she's Asian. Um, Like she brings that to it. So it's, it's a different experience, I think, that maybe we're not comfortable and familiar with, whereas she is brought up sort of this peace-loving person, but right. also has sort of an inner warrior um, inside of her that Rainwater points out towards the beginning of episode five. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of depth there. I, I think we're seeing her best acting, and I think it is going to be complicated and messy, mm-hmm. but I think she is a good character, and she she challenges Casey in a lot of interesting ways. I, to be honest, I'm kind of, I'm I'm iffy on their marriage going forward, and why I say that is, you know, it's I can tell there's some inner conflict with Casey. Of they go back to Monica's grandfather's home to kind of get away from the ranch a little bit after um, all that had happened, and you know, I can tell that obviously it seems sincere that he wants that for himself and for um, you know Tate and Monica, but. You know, as Monica's looking at houses and all the above, you can tell that Casey's here for it and, you know, standing by her and saying, okay, but you can kind of just tell in the way that it's shot. There's just no expression that he's fully in. I'm just curious of if kind of the thing that fills him up and now is being taken away a little bit. Interesting. If that will put a strain on their marriage. I read that. In a different way. I read his facial expressions and his body language as sort of like this easy, calm, loving what he was seeing with regards to Monica and Tate and sort of the happiness and Zen. Yeah. I didn't get a lot of unrest yet, but I can certainly see that. I mean, he is sort of a Dutton after all, and he really eased Mm -hmm. into that life pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, they have a lot of fights, don't they? Well, and and they are up and down. <laughs> they are, yeah. Emotionally, I have to always emotionally prepare myself. Well, even for the entire show. Well, in even kind of what you just said, something that kind of tangenting away from Monica and Casey, but something that Beth had said at the very end, right before she's like, I'm going to set, you know, she's going to set John up. But she's going to go find him a girlfriend. Um, she had said that there has never been any peace here, meaning there's never been any right. peace at the ranch. Number one, I thought I was like, "Oof, that is a very you know deep, heavy statement." Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, she was saying that Casey and John are not peaceful men. Um, you know, I think, and you can tell she's saying that that she at the end of the day longs for peace. And I'm almost like going back to the whole Casey thing of he's not a peaceful man, and so almost do you kind of run on unrest? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, like Beth almost seems to. Yeah. Um, his yeah. sister. It's time for letters from listeners. Just a reminder that you can email us anything at staff at tasteofcountry.com and we'll hit you back. Also, when you leave a comment on one of our YouTube videos, we'll take that into consideration as well. Three great notes from listeners of Dutton Rules today, including one that helped us answer if the train station is real. So, Billy, if you're ready, Barrel Racer and Sheila point out something similar. Love listening. I'm all caught up in one of your episodes. You brought up reining horses, but also got to mention the riders on the horses are from Taylor Sheridan's show, The Last Cowboy. It's on its second season. That is 
pretty fascinating. Thank you very much, uh, both Sheila and Barrel Racer, for emailing in there. She's saying that um, uh, there's a show called The Last Cowboy. I think it's on CMT, and some of those racers there made the Yellowstone show. So that's, that's what I kind of cool. go back to about how he, he's getting authentic uh, mm-hmm. riders and cowboys in first and worrying about the acting later. And at times I think that becomes kind of clear because not all the acting is great when it comes to the ranch right. hands. Although Taylor is a, a superb actor in his role s- so far. Um, not everybody is an equal actor, but thank you for pointing right. that out. That, uh, any any information right. on the rodeo and the horse stuff that people want to share, I think um, more the merrier there because, you know, I, I've mentioned this before. I grew up in Detroit. It's a little bit of a blind mm-hmm. spot for me. I don't claim to be an expert in the rodeo. Um, just a, a fan of this show overall. Okay, Gary on YouTube says, I believe the train station may refer to the zone of death at the southwest corner of Yellowstone Park. Due to oddities in state and federal boundaries, it's supposedly a lawless zone. Interesting. This is fascinating. Uh, there yeah. is an actual zone of death. It's about a 50-mile square 50 square mile slice of idaho that's part of the yellowstone ranch the issue is all yellowstone ranch is part of the wyoming district court but obviously this slice of land is in idaho and there's an amendment in the constitution the sixth amendment that says that people if they are committed a crime they have the right to trial by jury from people from their district and state well Mm -hmm. no one lives in this 50 mile square mile slice of land so there would therefore be no one to create a jury should someone create a terrible crime like this. It's never been tested. Uh, A a law professor from Michigan State University pointed this out about 15 years ago. The loophole still exists. Uh, It's not lawless. Like, you can't just go kill people there, brag about it, and get away Mm -hmm. with it. I have a feeling that people are going to hunt you down. It's just that it's sort of juryless, so they can't theoretically prosecute you and put you in jail. Well, like I said, it's never truly been tested. Um, and as far as I know, bodies aren't stacking up there at the bottom of some some gorge or hill. That is true. I think that's been one of my favorite. I mean, this is fascinating. We did a video on this. If you subscribe to our YouTube channel, I kind of dug a little bit deeper into this and, and shared some of the sources. I believe Vox did some good reporting and some others. But uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a fascinating study that there is this sort of Truly wild, wild west on the very, I guess it'd be the very western edge of the Yellowstone National Park. Okay, we've got two more. Blair on Facebook says, why did they put women in the bunkhouse to start with? Which, Blair, we hear ya. (laughs) Avery was first, um, and she didn't last a whole long, but she was pretty tough. She wasn't going to be messed with. And then Teeter came in and was kind of the same. And they kind of just let... Jimmy bring Jimmy brought Mia and Laramie in, and mm-hmm. no one really said anything about it at the time. Maybe it's because Jimmy at the time was all hospitalized and he needed some help kind of getting around, and Mia was offering that support for him. Mm-hmm. But that seems to have been the mistake, and then they, they let them have real jobs. Um, they're on the payroll, as far as I know. Uh, they, it it kind of got out of hand. They, they, someone needed to step in early there, but I think it wasn't so much that they – let Mia and Laramie in is there's just no one said anything to stop it. Okay, popular theories we have going. <laughs> Jamie's real mom, yeah, <laughs> chuckle. <laughs> okay, Jamie's real mom is related to John or his late wife. That would make Jamie and Beth cousins. Okay. 
Interesting. Yeah. This is floating out there that this is why the Duttons adopted Jamie is because Jamie's late wife was like sisters or something to her. There's no evidence okay. to that, but, you know, we don't know the circumstances quite yet, so... Maybe. Well, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not wild enough that I would say no. I'm kind of going, well, I, I, maybe. <laughs> okay. And then the second one, Rip is not his real name. It's R.I.P. for rest in peace. This goes to this idea that Rip doesn't exist. He is a person who has, mm-hmm. there's no record of him. Um, we don't know that Rip is his real name or isn't, but someone right. thought maybe rest in peace because he's presumed to have been dead. After when he was a teenager, he killed his father. Um, again, no evidence to, to this, but at some point, maybe we'll find out a little bit more about Rips. I want a Yellowstone spinoff that hones right in on those early years when Rips a boy, John yeah. Dutton's like thirty or something, Jamie and Beth and Casey are all kids. Uh, that's the that's the spinoff I want to sort of fill in some of these gaps. I'd be there for that. Oh, eight days a week. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about you? Once again, the email address to continue this conversation is staff at tasteofcountry.com. Currently, only two spinoffs are known. 1883, which begins on December 19th in the Four Sixes Ranch, start date to be determined. I'm Addison Hager, and once again, thank you so much if you're one of the thousands who've engaged with us on YouTube, Facebook, or anywhere on social media. If you like this show, tell one friend about it, as we're just getting started. And of course, top follow and leave a rating or review where applicable. Next week on Dutton Rules, another exciting cast interview, followed by a recap of a very dramatic episode six. Dutton Rules, a Yellowstone in 1883 podcast is written by myself and Billy Dukes and produced by Billy Dukes. For more great Yellowstone insight, find us on YouTube by searching Taste of Country and Yellowstone. Dutton Rules is another great Townsville Media podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.